Hi there, I'm Christine Zips, health rights advocate, patriot, and founder of Wired Schools and Zips Media. Today, we have a very special guest, Patrick Wood. He will be joining me to talk about a very important topic, censorship. Uh, over the last couple of years, we've seen a rise in frequency, intensity, intimidation, and aggression. And as a case in point, we'll be focusing on a recent incident here in Colorado where a uh, suburban mom of four was surprised by the FBI in the morning while she was teaching her children and they gained entry by battering ram. And this is just something worthy of discussion. So to set the scene on this particular case, I'd like to share with you a bit from a release Patrick sent out last week. They were at my home to intimidate me, to shut me up, because I was using my First Amendment rights to advocate, and they'll never be held accountable. Instead, they will criminalize this woman who has stood up. Those were the words of Sharona Bishop, a terrified but determined suburban Colorado mother whose home was invaded by federal law enforcement on November 16th in what could be the first case of the promised Department of Justice crackdown on activist parents. Bishop has been a vocal activist for election integrity in her state, as well as a fixture at local school board meetings, often opposing the implementation of mass mandates for children and the inclusion of critical race theory in school curricula. According to Patrick Wood, these activities are what likely made her a target of a rogue DOJ. You'll find a link to this release along with other related links in the comments section below. For those of you unfamiliar with this impressive body of work, I'd like to share highlights from Patrick Wood's bio. He is a leading and critical expert on sustainable development, green economy, Agenda 21, 2030 Agenda, and historic technocracy. He is executive director of Citizens for Free Speech, which is dedicated to preserving free speech and enabling citizens to exercise their rights as guaranteed by the United States Constitution. Patrick is the author of Technocracy Rising, the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation, and co-author of Trilaterals Over Washington, Volumes 1 and 2, with the late Anthony C. Sutton. Other books by Wood are Globalization and the Crucible of Global Banking and Technocracy, The Hard Road to World Order. Mr. Wood is a frequent speaker and guest on radio shows around the nation. His current research builds on trilateral commission hegemony focusing on technocracy, transhumanism, and scientism, and how these are transforming global economics, politics, and religion. And now I'd like to extend a hearty welcome to Patrick Wood. Thank you so much for joining us. Been a huge fan and all of your goodies here. So thank you so much. My pleasure. I'm glad I could, uh, could be on, discuss some of these things today. Very good. So if you're ready to get going with that, how about we start with, was wondering what was it about the Sharona Bishop case that caught your attention? Actually, it was a badge and a gun. Uh, <laughs> as much as that, well, a battering ram was a big thing too. Um, yes. I followed the story um, of the, the school association, the nonprofit school association that sent 
a letter to the attorney general several weeks ago complaining that um, that school boards were being inundated by protesters who were really a national security threat and were making all kinds of uh, hate speech remarks and so on. And they sent this letter to the AG saying, you need to do something about this to protect these poor, innocent, helpless little school boards from these angry mama bears. Well, I paraphrase, okay. And <laughs> and uh, so immediately that news got out and uh, the attorney general got drugged before Congress to explain himself. Okay, why have you entertained this? And, and you know, why have you sent this memo back uh, to like the likes of the FBI to uh, to have them reclassify parents around the country as potential domestic terrorists. And he's, oh, no, that, that was, a that, you know, I was just wrong. That was a mistake. He backpedaled all over the place. And um, so he went away from his hearing kind of with his tail a little bit between his legs, but not really um, because nothing changed. And, uh, you know, he said, oh, we're not going to allow that. Thing. We wouldn't. Oh, no, we'd never use the FBI to, you know, for such things, just ordinary citizens. Well, lo and behold, uh, Sharona had a knock on the door from the FBI. And they ended up breaking her door down and, and terrorizing her family. And this is a badge and a gun. This is not, you know, they, 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 they claimed that they... Um, they were interested in uh, some damage she might have done to a, what they call a protected computer. I have no idea what that is at this point. Um, but it wasn't. It, it, there was no serious charges on on the search warrant that you know, like you you, you know, you, you sent a pipe bomb to a senator or something like that. Nothing like that. No. And so she was left with nothing more than a feeling of intimidation and fear. And it's like, oh, my gosh, what are they doing in my house? And they searched your house top to bottom. I never saw a picture of what happened, what it looked like after they got done searching. But usually when the FBI does a search, they typically turn drawers upside down and things like that. And it kind of tends to de deconstruct your house. Right. So I don't know if they did that to her or not. Maybe they just lifted stuff up and looked under. I have no idea. But just the idea that they searched your house completely and that they uh, you know, ask you some questions, um, uh, threatened you, you know, with force. They did have her handcuffs for a period of the time, she said. And then they left and they didn't charge her with anything. No crime. Uh, I don't think they took anything with them that they found, whatever they were looking for. Um, but this was obviously, in my opinion, a spurious investigation by the FBI of a mother in Colorado who had made a habit of uh, visiting various school boards with parents uh, as well. She became an advocate for parents of school-aged children. And so she would go and testify before school boards. And um, for a number of things, mask mandates being one, mandated vaccines being another, um, and critical race theory being taught. Another thing really was a hot button for her. And she has a website and she's pretty vocal and pretty much every parent in Colorado probably knows who she is because they've ran into her somewhere along the way. So she was uh, kind of visible, uh, more so than just, you know, 
Susie Jones, who never, <laughs> never appeared on camera anywhere, um, she kind of had a reputation. And they picked on her. They just, they picked her and said, we'll use this one for, to make an example. And they did. This is the first time in my observation that the government has used physical force against people who are uh, fully entitled to their free speech rights to like her to say what she was saying. She made, she broke no law. She just is speaking out. And uh, you know, that's what free speech is all about. And uh, you know, these, these uh, school board, uh, many of the school board uh, people that we have now around the country do not believe in free speech. They don't believe in the constitution and they don't believe in the first amendment. So in their mind, you have no right to speak. And if you do, if you criticize us, why we're going to take action against you. And there has been more action since Sharona's case where a gun and a badge were used against just ordinary citizens trying to protect their children. And, and you know, we always think, when you think of the FBI, you always used to think of criminals, you know, like gangsters and the mafia and, you know, really bad people. Absolutely. Serial killers and, you know, don't you have something better to do than to chase innocent mothers around? <laughs> like, yeah, it seems like to me that they kind of used her as an example. Yes. And um, I watched the interview uh, Steve, Steve Bannon did with her was very strong and, and she pretty much laid it out. And I understand they did handcuff her and her husband and mm -hmm. kind of led um, their 18 year old daughter up and down the stairs by her hoodie. And poor things, you know, then the younger ones were naturally they were all, you know, frightened, of course. Yep. I think that's what it was all about. So yeah. it just seemed like that. And, and I noticed um, with her website, America's Mom, that she posted a, a live uh, video this morning. I didn't get to listen to it all, but it had to do with a local pastor in her area that I think they were coming after him and even threatening him with incarceration. Don't know what the apparent crime was, wow. but... You know, mm -hmm. I, I intend to go back there and see what that's going on, but mm -hmm. it's just amazing. I mean, I'm an activist. I'm a homeschooler and of our next door neighbor, eight-year-old, and um, I speak out. I have a, you know, a little bit of a, but mm -hmm. I, I think she has a whole lot more of a, you know, a local celebrity status about her. So it's just really a darn shame, but I really admire her for standing up. And I understand she's going to join with Tina Peters tomorrow in front of the courthouse in Grand Junction doing a freedom rally, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be, uh, I, this will air after it happens because it's going to be tomorrow, but I guess that would be a great thing. I hope she has a wonderful yeah. turnout. Yeah. So that yeah. would be great. And I wanted to <laughs> ask you, um, do you think the FBI should have been involved? Obviously you don't, no. but you know, in the, no. how, how might they have better handled the situation given that they were? Yeah. No, this is this is a completely spurious activity by the FBI, in my in my opinion. And I think most legal scholars, I'm not one, but I think legal scholars would agree. The FBI did what they did, but it completely breaks with precedence. Um, they're supposed to be chasing felony level criminals. Uh, 
And they're supposed to be, in, in the case of where they operate with Homeland Security, they're supposed to be ch- you know, chasing legitimate terrorists and people want to blow things up and kill people and stab them to death, that sort of thing. Right. And this clearly was none of that. Absolutely none of that. This is a politically motivated uh, uh, attack against a political opponent of the president and the far left, uh, you know, whatever regime I want to call it. I won't even give it the, the, the grace to call it the Democrat regime. OK, there's far left wackos who are after they figured out they can use the political establishment against their enemies. And that's what they've done. That's exactly what they've done here. It seems just a bit that that cut and dried. I, I agree, and I mean, as you know, Sharona um, had had no criminal background. I don't think she's even shoplift a tube of lipstick or anything. And right. um, as I understand, she's been active along with Tina Peters, the county clerk, in looking into election integrity, transparency, yes. etc. So, which is within their right, and and Tina's and everything. They've done nothing wrong, and it's it's just amazing. And <laughs> do, I wondered, would you, Patrick, consider the FBI as a law enforcement or political policy enforcement agency? Well, today, they're, of course, their their charter says they're supposed to be a policing type of uh, an agency for for crimes that don't fit the local venue. Right? You have sheriffs, you have county police, you have city police. Um, and you have state police, troopers, stuff like that, that are supposed to take adequate care of crimes that occur within the state or within the city, the municipality. The FBI has usually been reserved for crimes that cross state lines uh, or that somehow are just outside the jurisdiction of, you know, maybe they're federal crimes and they're outside the jurisdiction of a local venue. That's when the FBI is supposed to step in. This this has none of those air, none of those markers at all on it. They they stepped into it because they could. If they had had a constitutional sheriff in that county, and you know, it was Mesa County, I think it was, um, the, the sheriff would have said, "You need to leave now and get out of my county because you're not going to serve this. You you get out of her home and you're at your toast." And and they would have left. By the way, they would have immediately turned tail and driven their little black SUVs right out of the county without touching a hair on her head. Absolutely. That was going to be my next question. Do you think a constitutional sheriff could have intervened? But, Absolutely. you know, yeah, I mean, and they should have. Yeah. It, you know, it's a, it's a shame to anybody elected an office like a sheriff to misuse the office. Talk about a political weapon to misuse the office of, a, of the last elected office, law enforcement officer in the land, the county sheriff. Mm-hmm. For that sheriff to turn corrupt and use his office as a political weapon against people in his county is absolutely unconscionable. It's egregious. It's just offensive on every single level. Totally. Could not agree more. And I had the privilege of interviewing Constitutional Sheriff Richard Mack last year, and uh, I joined his posse group. And we are in the process of reaching out to all the counties in the U.S. to Mm -hmm. determine, take a survey to figure out if they are constitutional sheriffs. And if they are not, they go on, they get a black pin or they get a white pin on the map. And, you know, and it's going to be exposed. So I, I think that's kind of a worthwhile thing that we're kind of. Oh, absolutely. It is. And for too long, people have ignored the county sheriff as being an important office in their in their, in their community. 
kind of forgotten. I don't know why. <laughs> Do you think it's because they're county jurisdiction and not local or city or state? Yeah, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's just a lot of bluff. And on the other hand, I suppose it's that some of these sheriffs around the country have been acting so poorly for decades mm-hmm. that people just figure, eh, you know, there's just one more uh, run of the mill right. bagger. They're just yeah. a Barney Fife, right? <laughs> Well, yeah. sort of, but you know, when you see the county sheriff doing stuff like the the city chief of police does, which is very political in many cases, mm-hmm. um, you just shake your head. You know, it's ah, you know, fooey. Who needs it? You know that, that, and you don't pay any attention to them. But there have been some great examples of county sheriffs standing up that really understood what they were all about, absolutely, and pushing back on the feds. And they were in every case they were successful. It, it's, I know. The best have nothing to say. There's some great stories out there, and, and I love to focus on that as well. And, you know, with this Sharona Bishop, um, would you consider this an isolated incident? Or, or, or do you think that's maybe the start of a snowballing effect? Mm-hmm. Well, we're certainly going to have to wait and see um, if, if it's going to continue like this. There was a, a case in Texas where, uh, where two uh, fathers were arrested by um, a gun and a badge, but the gun and the badge was attached to the school district directly. In other words, they had uh, somehow had the authority and funding to create their own police force for the school district. I'm sure that would be like, you know, guards that would stand guard in the schools and stuff like that um, uh, to you know, protect students against whatever mass shooters. But uh, they, uh, the school board saw fit to use their police force to arrest these two dads. And they, uh, they pass them off to, I think, the, to the county sheriff because they don't have any teeth and they arrest somebody. They don't have any teeth to do anything about it. They don't have a jail. <laughs> to put them. Really? So, oh so they pass them off. And again, the county sheriff should have stood up and said, get out of here. You know, you're not doing this. What are you doing over there? You know, what are you, are you a, bunch of, a bunch of mall cops or what? You know, what? <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to play police on us here. Go get some donuts, right? <laughs> That's right. Go get some donuts. Here, here's 50 cents. Go buy yourself a donut. There you go. Oh, my. Oh, that, that's, that's amazing. And, you know, I, I've been, you know, so much of my focus has been on global problems causing harm, especially to children. And, you know, looking into school issues, I, I did an interview with Alex Newman about the hidden high costs of public schools. And we just covered the gamut, critical race theory and common core, etc. And I think so much behind the scenes with schools, maybe you would agree is the National Teachers uh, Trade Union. I mean, they're what a bully a force they are, you know. I don't know, but the um, do you think that this type of um, situation might be held up to serve as a lesson for other potential terrorist activist parents? Like, you better mind your P's and Q's or we're coming after you, yeah. you know? That's clearly the message. And whether it will work or not is is unknown. I don't know. You know it may rile up the anger bomber bears even more across the country where they say not just no, but hell no. And they really so. stand up and fight twice as hard. Right. On the other hand, there will be some timid ones who say, man, I'm not going to tangle with this this crowd. Oh, sure. You know, they're, they're too big. They're, you know, they're too powerful. I don't want that on my record, that sort of stuff. So it's a I mixed bag. Right. But I will say I'll say one thing that really I think really stands out from the Sharona case and from what happened in Texas. Um, and that is Pandora's box has been opened for violence. 
And I'll make the observation that once violence begins, it never retreats on its own. Never. Never in history. No criminal, no, no, no political force, no revolution ever used power and retreated on its own accord. Mm -hmm. It had to be beaten back by either military or law enforcement or, or, you know, in some cases, just people. It had to be beaten back into retreat until they until the violent people gave up being violent. Mm -hmm. Now, we have in our country right now, especially as, as we're talking right now about this, violence is raising its ugly head in ways that you could not have dreamed six months ago. The Sharona case is one. And there are some others like that around that are just amazing. The, the, the rating of uh, Project Veritas op, uh, James O'Keefe right. was a big uh, nothing burger. Right. He was politically motivated to get a hold of his sources and his, you know, his resources and uh, donors and stuff to Project, uh, Project Veritas. Uh, they charged him with no crime. And the crime that they put in the search warrant, potential crime, was so unbelievable that most people wouldn't understand it because they've never heard of what's called a misprision of felony. The diary of uh, Biden's daughter? Well, it was over is a stupid diary. That should be a local police issue. You Hey, you lose your diary, go to the police and report it missing, okay? You don't call the FBI to investigate. It, it's just <laughs> absurd. It, it really is. But here's, here's the thing with misprision of treason. What it basically states is that if you witnessed a felony taking place and did not report it, you could be guilty of misprision of felony. Now, and that means you have to know what a felony is. But if you witnessed a felony taking place and didn't report it to a judge or the police, then you'd be charged with this extra crime. But before they could even consider attacking you for misprision of uh, felony, they have to go convict somebody of a felony of which you witness them doing it, right? So it has to go to court. The guy has to be convicted. He's in jail now. He committed a felony. He's in jail. And then they come back and look at you and say, well, you know, you were, you were right next to him when he did that thing, whatever it was, and you didn't speak up. So we're charging you with misprison of felony. OK, that's the charge that they were trying to throw at the, in the search warrant to Project Veritas. No crime had been committed. They, that's an admission that no crime had been committed because no felony has been committed or even acknowledged. And yet they tried to you know, intimidate him by saying, if we ever determine that a crime was committed down the road, we're going to come back and get you. It's like, right. Well, I mean, to me, there's you, nothing to it. It's, yeah, I, it's cotton candy. It's a nothing burger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I thank you for explaining that. Um, you know, I think that's very helpful to explain that, that term. Um, I think a lot of folks, including myself will appreciate learning that, yeah. but I was thinking with James O'Keefe and I've been watching a lot of his work and I admire his work as a, as a really hard hitting, honest, you know, well-researched journalist and bringing out, you know, all these whistleblowers with a great chaos, as you say, of 2020, 21. Right. And, you know, I, I'm thinking they're thinking we got to find a way to 
to, to quell this guy, you know, I don't know. It seems like they were just trying to, to scare him mm-hmm. to, yep. but I mean, I don't think they may know what he's, what they're dealing with because he's not going away. And- well, he won't go away. And again, it was a warning shot for him. I think yep. too, it was really maybe meant more for other people, other investigative journalists around the country than for him. Could be. But nevertheless, it was a use of violence, inappropriate use of violence. The, the cat is out of the bag on violence now. It's being used by the FBI against citizens that have done nothing wrong. And you have now, um, aside from all the local law enforcement issues we could talk about, you have now uh, flash mobs robbing big box stores in malls and in high-end areas around the country where anywhere from 50 to 100 mobsters, mob gang members, whatever, with hammers and crowbars or whatever, break into a big store, gut it in a matter of minutes and take off with the loot. Nobody can stop them. You'd, you'd almost need a militia out there to stop them. There's so many of them, you'd, you know, that'd be absolute carnage. But now I think <clears throat> I think there's been probably at least a dozen such incidences just in the last 10 days. This is a bad, bad trend because violence is out of the bag. That's what started my thinking about this, right? The issue of, is violence going to be a thing now? Yes, right. it does. And, and, uh, yeah, and I understand that, um, like you had mentioned as well, is that there's been a rise where censorship used to be a little more quiet and passive. And over the last, you know, six to six months to two years, it's been increasingly violent. And I understand that they're running police uh, trainees through militarized training that, that they're like, Oh my gosh, they're coming on as guerrilla, you know, warfare type stuff. And it seems Mm -hmm. a little excessive for, I don't know. It certainly is. And this, of course, this is the dangerous part of it is that um, it doesn't have any business being on American soil whatsoever. Every community has its own police force. Every community has its own, you know, uh, 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 power, force of power available, whether it be rifles or guns or whatever they need to take care of local problems. We don't need a military coming after our own citizens. And this is what happened a long time ago, even in the early Obama administration, when all of this excess military equipment started to be donated to local police departments, you know, Humvees and and carriers with machine guns on top and stuff like that. Nothing to see here. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, these this is what was used in Afghanistan and Iraq. and, you know, the body armor that goes along with it. And of course, the training videos that they, here's how you use all this stuff, you know, here's how you look mean and nasty when you go out to raid somebody. <laughs> Do they think that we, that, that many of us are totally, totally ignorant and not seeing what they're doing in plain sight and asking questions? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder <laughs> we're so involved with our lives. I know. Well, you know, for all the people that have questioned that along the way, uh, they have. They always throw out plausible deniability. Mm. There you always, go. Always. Right. Well, you're reading this wrong. Well, maybe it's not that way everywhere. Whatever the case is, always something comes out. 
that on why it's okay, probably, you know, you need to wait six months and see, and then six months, people forget what they yeah, were talking yeah. about six I months mean, ago. And, right. Don't bother your pretty head about that. It's going to be okay. We're, we would never do anything like that. Right. So right. crazy. And yeah. with Sharona, do you think she was targeted or, you know, we kind of covered that, yeah. but. Well, it was her address on the search warrant. There you go. Well, I guess that answers that question pretty much. Yeah. So yeah. what and what kind of a what kind of a court did they go to to get the search warrant? I have no idea. It, I'll tell, but I say one thing. It was a the, the FBI has offices in Colorado. OK, mm-hmm. they, they maintain offices there, mm-hmm. which indicates and I don't I didn't see the search warrant, but it indicates that the search warrant was issued from a Colorado court, a federal court in Colorado. It couldn't have been a local court, you know, like a state court. Right. It have to be a federal court that issued the search warrant. Nobody so far has said who that was or what their rationalization was to issue it. There has to be some some compelling reason for a judge to to issue a no knock search warrant. Right. And, and I, I, from the interview, I was a little confused. It seemed as though Sharona didn't seem to think they had a real search warrant. She said they kind of flashed a few pieces of paper and they had the charge of conspiracy to commit wire fraud included on that. And I wondered if that might be a tie-in to her, her looking into along with Clerk Peters about the election integrity. Yeah. She definitely needs to have somebody that that really under maybe understands this whole process better than she does. I did sense some confusion with her as well. And as that would be understandable on one hand, because when your Tara is like that, you don't think straight. I mean, you're, oh, gosh, like, no. you know, you're going to just be your head's going to be oh. spinning. And, and I'm sure she never had any contact with the FBI before this. So her uh, her perception of let's 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 look at it like an accident and you know at the corner of elm and sixth street right right she looks at the accident right now that took place there metal smoke all kind of stuff and trying to trying to observe the crime scene okay she's going to be the worst witness in the world because she was in it she was involved in it absolutely (laughs) she remembers is probably going to be wrong there needs to be another investigator that really understands the stuff come alongside of her and examine the evidence and you know really go through it with her and and then bring it to the public and say okay this is what happened Mm -hmm. but we don't know that and certainly if the fbi did have a search warrant it is public information Uh, and so that could be discovered through a FOIA request if nothing else Maybe yes. Project Veritas needs to get a jump on this, right? <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's. I think that's yeah. a great idea. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, Pat, in a related instance, um, I think I mentioned to you, we're helping to homeschool our um, a, a friend's eight-year-old daughter. Um, she's doing doing great, and um, I just came out of school with her, actually. So, um, but we were um, we're connected with an umbrella school and the the uh, the director of that recently informed us that we're in Colorado and the Department of Public Health and Environment has issued a notice that they're moving to require immunization records for students even homeschoolers and further any child not in compliance shall be denied access 
um, shall be denied a, um, attendance, excuse me, in accordance with the law. And uh, the parents pulled their child from government schools to homeschool, you know, believing they should be protected from such illegal mandates, medical mandates. You know, how do you believe they can get by with this? Mm-hmm. Same way everybody else does, right? There's, there's another trend that is very disturbing and dangerous in America, has been going on for quite some time, and that is the trend of lawlessness. Lawlessness, for a person to be lawless, does, if, does not mean that they're a lawbreaker. Like uh, you drive down the street at 50 in a 25 zone, you get stopped by a policeman, he gives you a ticket, say, I'm sorry, sir, you know, whatever, you know, I'll go pay my fine. You're a lawbreaker. Sorry, you got a ticket, but you're a lawbreaker. A lawless person has no regard for the law. They do not recognize the law as even applying to them, and they refuse to comply. And we see this right now, top to bottom throughout our country. And it started well before, I'm sure it started well before uh, Biden took office, but Biden has perfected this as an art form. I'll give you a case in point. He states there's going to be a national mandate on employers over that employers have over 100 employees that everybody is going to be mandated for vaccine and all federal employees. Then along comes the federal court and says, no, no, no. Egregious violation of the Constitution here. You may not proceed. And then another court comes out separately, says the same thing. That was actually a higher court because they appealed it. So nope, absolutely unconstitutional. What you just what you just requested, don't you cannot do it. You're forbidden to do it. The court spoke correctly, I believe. Biden turns around and says to all the people around the country, all the employers, all the contractors, and everything else, just ignore what the court said and do it anyway. There you go. Now that's lawlessness. That's not being a lawbreaker. The first thing you want to say is you're breaking a law, uh, President Biden. No, he's not. He's a law. He's a lawless person. That's much more dangerous than a lawbreaker because you can always collar a lawbreaker and change their behavior by punishing them with prison or a fine or embarrassment or whatever. But a lawless person can do nothing other than be lawless, whether you put them in jail or not. They will continue to be lawless the very day they walk out of confinement. This is what's happening around the country today. In San Francisco, it's illegal to nab a shop holder or a, excuse me, a shoplifter that goes into a store, blatantly picks up some goods, walks out the door. The store is forbidden to do anything to curtail that person, to arrest them, to detain them, even to call the police. Okay. That's a lawless society. That's a lawless person. And these stores take it to the extent where Walgreens, I think Walgreens closed eight stores recently because they couldn't hack. They couldn't take it anymore. All the goods being stolen right out of their store. They could do nothing about it. They just said, we're out of here. We're just, we're not going to, you know, San Francisco, you can go buy yourself from 7-Eleven. This used to getting held up all the time or something. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. You know, the wild, wild west, I think, was tame compared to this. That's just amazing. You're right. I I read today that um, I believe 
Biden. I refuse to call call him president, but he made the announcement, I believe, that he's pulling back on the mandates for the jab for all the, and I won't call him vaccine because I'm not, but they're, they're you know, mandating the, the jab for employees. He's, they're going to put that off until after the first of the year, you know? So I don't know. It, it's just amazing. But, you know, with the National School Board, it had you heard that they apologized for labeling parents as domestic terrorists and the, un the unethical labeling has set a dangerous precedent. And do you think that this has helped justify the raid on Sharona Bishop? It caused it. It, yeah. it, it possible. Totally. Top to bottom. Mm -hmm. It gave the minute the minute that the, the attorney general spoke. It opened the door for the FBI to be involved, period. Mm -hmm. Yep. It, and I'm absolutely the yeah. I mean, I thought that was really rich, though. I, I hadn't heard until recently that they apologized. So that's really big of them. But it won't change their behavior. That's the problem. <laughs> I know. You know, it's oh, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. So, yeah. Uh, in, in Sharona's interview with Steve Bannon, he said, quote, if this type of behavior stands, we're finished as a country. This is what illegitimate regimes do to terrorize people. And would you agree with that statement? I, I know the answer to that, but I wondered if you wanted to speak to that. Well, I do agree with it. And, um, you know, I'm sure there's got to be something I, that, that I disagree with Bannon on somewhere along the way. But for by and large, for most of his positions, he's spot on. Uh, he's he's uh, he has a unique ability to uh, to see through, as he calls it, see through the noise and and see the signal. And uh, he, I think he's got this exactly right. <clears throat> there is uh, there was a great article that uh, I recently posted on Technocracy.news as well as on CitizensForFreeSpeech.org. That had to do with a concept, a concept called mass formation. It's like mass hypnosis. And I'll develop a little bit to get to the question. I'm so glad um, you mentioned that. I think I asked you if it'd be okay if we yeah. talked about that. Yes, it, it really it really applies here to what we're hypnosis. talking about. Great. Um, th this the a guy who came up with this idea um, is a clinical a professor of clinical psychology in uh, Belgium. Yes. And um, he speaks fluent English, fortunately, so we can understand him. <laughs> I don't understand any, any language from Europe at all, but I, he speaks very good English. And as a clinical psychologist and also a statistician, which is kind of an odd combination, but he has a master's in, in statistics as well as clinical psychology, a PhD. And so he's, he's been studying the whole thing. The whole pandemic has been coming along, whatever. He, something didn't make sense to him. He couldn't make any sense out of the statistical models. He said they're really cracked. So he applied his uh, knowledge of clinical psychology to the problem and say, something's wrong here. What's wrong? And he came up with a concept, or at least he explored and developed the concept of mass, what he calls mass formation. It's a psychological condition where society all of a sudden develops uh, it's its own circular community of thinking and goes completely off the rails. It's kind of like hypnosis where somebody can be hypnotized individually 
and made to cluck like a chicken <laughs> or, or go into surgeries. You know, some people that are hypnotized, you can cut their body. You can, you know, you can do surgery on them and they won't feel the pain. Isn't that amazing? Because they're hypnotized and the mind is shut off to it. This is the concept of mass formation. And he goes through the four things that are required for mass formation, uh, formation to take place. They're very kind of commonsensical on one part. The, the, the first thing, you just jump right off the page. It says the central condition is the lack of societal bonding. Uh, in other words, social isolation on a mass scale. Okay, here we have face mask. Here we have social distancing. Here we have shutting down the schools. Who needs social interaction? Students. Duh. Shut them down, make them stay home, deprive them of social, you know, the socialization that they might need. Uh, don't let them see their friends, their buds and so on, uh, maybe online, but nowhere else. Uh, the conditions go on. But in every in every case, we can see in society what's happening right now is a product of uh, the whole COVID debacle for the last two years. They have brought these policies to bear intentionally, as we know now, of course, all of which combined to create this mass formation, transformation of society on a global basis, where now 30, probably to 30 to 40%, maybe as many as 40% are completely disjointed from reality. And they're stuck over here in mask mania, COVID mania, hysterics, hysterical behavior, back, you know, worship of vaccine, taking vaccines, even though their neighbor next door died three days ago after getting the shot, <laughs> they still go out and get the shot. Yes, sir, I'll get the shot. This behavior is just totally disjointed. But having said that, what he brings out at the, at the end of his, most of his talks is that the only preventative from mass formation taking place to the point of serious, serious danger to society. The only impediment is free speech. And that was kind of, that was a little bit of a shock to me. I hadn't thought about it that way before. But as long as people have the ability to speak, like you and I are speaking right now, Sharona was speaking, uh, other people, Project Veritas was speaking. As long as we have the ability to exercise some measure of free speech, these nutcases on this side of the fence will be prevented from taking action on their mass formation or as a result of their mass formation. It's a preventative. It's like, you know, putting, putting salt on the bacon. It, it prevents, you know, further deterioration. And here's his logic behind us, and it's, it's, I think it's impeccable. And we have to remember, the Europeans understand totalitarianism in a way Americans don't. They're culturally sensitive to it. They had, they had Hitler. They had um, Lenin and, um, and Stalin. They've had other local dictators who were just horrible, killed bunches of people. They understand what it means to have totalitarianism take over and what it does when it does. Well, here's what this guy brings out from Belgium. They right? lived, from Belgium. It. They lived his, it. Yeah. yeah. He says, the minute free speech stops, 
the minute it's conquered for a totalitarian takeover, the minute free speech stops is when the killing starts. That's when genocide starts. That's the point of inflection that opens up the door for mass genocide of a population. We in America can't yeah, conceive strong. of like the Bolshevik revolution of, you know, 30 to 60 million people being killed. That would be a fifth of our population, but they experienced it. And they understand it. Free speech is the only defense against total carnage in our country and around the world for other countries as well. But I mean, we live here, right? So we're concerned about America. The only thing left to keep this carnage from taking hold in America and allowing genocide to take place is that we have and maintain free speech. That's what makes it so critically, critically important. And I want to say Steve Bannon gets this. He, he does absolutely positively. He sees us. We didn't compare notes, by the way. He, he got there on his own, but he's a, he's a strategist. and He's a good one. He says, no, every revolution in history, as soon as the perpetrators are uh, free to do what they want to do without any repercussion whatsoever, they just go ahead and do it. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? Yeah. Nobody to stop them. Nobody to put the finger in their chest and say, you can't do that. You're yeah. wrong. We'll, you know, we'll block you from doing that. Yeah. But once the resistance is gone, all hell is going to break loose. And I just say that because it's an existential issue right now that we keep free speech alive in America. Yeah. And that people stand up like Sharona. Don't just go to the school board meeting. Open up your window and shout it into the streets. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you're speaking about this. What, um, who got my attention to this mass um, this mass formation psychosis type of hypnosis was uh, Dr. Robert Malone, the inventor of mRNA vaccine. And he spoke very well on that, I thought. And he was saying that, you know, when, when people so oftentimes, you know, when, when the mass mass society focused on one, usually one single thing, like the mass chaos of 2020, they're living in fear if they're watching the lies on mainstream. And that it seems almost like a little Stockholm syndrome comes in where they're loving their captor. And 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 anyone who comes up against them in in opposition to that, they get attacked because yes. they're they've got this, they're banded together and they're yes. strong in, in this position and they're not moving. But, um, you know, Malone said, forget about trying to educate them. You can show them all these white papers and studies till you're blue in the face. They ain't changing their mind. And he, his position is a way around that is to say, if you continue with this, you're bringing about a greater threat. Like, for example, forcing your children, their babies age five, like Dr. David Martin said, you know, he said, this isn't just one of the cases that we have before us that is a problem. He said, it is the only problem. They are murdering our babies with these force jabs. But, you know, he said, if you bring that to their attention, that could maybe chink away at that resolve. Yes. How do you feel about his, that's his theory on that? Well, this, this is what, uh, this is what the, uh, the clinical psychologist and, and Belzer brought up. His name is Matthias Desmond. Yes. And um, uh, 
you know, his, he's a professional in this field. I, I can't say it. I don't want to just call it a theory because history is history. <laughs> history is not a theory. Uh, people have a theory of history, I'm sure. But history, the fact of the matter is it is what it is, right? And he brings yes. up much of this and what he talks about, even as he kind of says, well, this is what I've come up with. It's a, it's a little bit more than that. I mean, he's looking at actual real history. I think he's quite humble. Well, I think he probably is, too. He's he's a, he's an academic and, you know, he's he's very thoughtful and he chooses his words well. Right. But, but what he what he concludes and I've, I've listened to quite a bit of his material before I posted this this article that was written by my friend, Dr. Joseph McCullough on uh, on citizens for free speech dot org. What the the idea of a, of the evolution of a totalitarian society like where we're headed and i believe this is technocracy by the way i'll just say that but i'll use totalitarian because people kind of understand that a little bit they're listening to this right headed towards a totalitarian society um when it gets close to the end of crushing free speech there is always a scapegoat that is identified by the perpetrators always and who's the scapegoat today that's being identified? Well, it's the unvaxxed, the non-vaccinated people. Pandemic of the unvaxxed. The people, that's right. The pandemic of the unvaxxed is the, the, those, those evil killers. Oh, yes. Those, uh, those thoughtless enemies of humanity that refuse to get vaccinated to save my grandmother. <laughs> Whatever. Right. Um, they are the enemy. And we've heard such phraseology already come out. Those deniers deserve to be punished. We've heard that. Very strong. You're right. Very strong. And, it, you know, if, if they had a way to punish them right now, they would punish them mercilessly. Hasn't happened yet because free speech is still alive and they simply cannot get away with it at this point. But the scapegoat has been identified in America. You have uh, you have the, the, the anti-vaxxers, the non-vaxxers. You have the children now as well. And he brings out that in every case in the last 150 years, the children are always the ones made to suffer first. Always. This fits in with the history of revolutions, the totalitarian revolution. But as they get to the point of, of the, that, that point of inflection where the free speech is gone, they can do whatever they want to do. The killing that starts is always directed against that scapegoat. Whatever that scapegoat is, doesn't matter what it is. It, can, it could be people who have blonde hair. It just, it, it, and, and there's been crazy scapegoats in history, like the, 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 the witch trials in, in Europe. Women of all nature were grabbed. You're a witch. We're going to burn you at the stake. And they did. It's, it's like, what? How can you know? There's no way to tell that, the, you know, two thirds of the women in your town are witches. And let's just kill them arbitrarily. Kill them. There's always that scape, that's that scapegoat group. Now we have that's what we have now. Right. OK, who did Hitler have? Who were his scapegoats? The Jews. And the gypsies and blacks and there and the, you know, the crippled, um, the undesirable people that were crippled or mentally, uh, you know, incompetent or whatever. He had others, but mostly it was the Jews. They were the scapegoat that he used to commit genocide. What about the Bolshevik Revolution? Well, you know, they killed anybody that had money initially. Anybody that had money in Russia during the Bolshevik Revolution was drug out in the street and shot. 
didn't matter what they believed. They could have they could have been the best people in the world for the communist revolution. They, no, you got money, you take them out, you're dead. Well, you, you could go on and on and look at every revolution in history like that and say, what, who, were the, who were the scapegoat that was pre-identified? And then when they had the opportunity, they committed mass, uh, mass, you know, mass genocide against that people group. It's happened in China. It's happened in Cambodia. For sure. It's happened in some countries in Africa. It's always the same MO. So we're, we're headed down a path with this mass formation thing right now, where we know that mass formation is already a real thing in society. We see it all over the planet. We can be thankful in a sense that Hitler's genocide was local to Europe. It wasn't planetary. Neither was the Bolshevik revolution. Neither was the Chinese revolution. They were limited to a continent. What we're dealing with today, however, is a global a global totalitarian takeover. Never had that before in history. That would imply that whenever this genocidal movement really gets steam, it's going to be global in nature. And we won't be probably talking in terms of 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 million people. We'll probably be talking in terms ultimately, perhaps of hundreds of millions of people that could die globally because of this. Mass formation is the most dangerous societal thing that ever, ever could happen to any country, nation, people, group, whatever, because eventually it will snap into irrationality, take that, that focus group, that, that, the, the evildoers, and just simply say, the only way we can solve our problems is by killing them. I don't like the sound of that. I hate to even say that. I hate to even no, suggest no. that. I'm just telling you what Matthias said. I, I, and and <laughs> I believe I li listened to that last night, and it might be relevant uh, to fit this uh, short um, quote in from the Americana uh, Encyclopedia. Censorship that hinders peaceable opposition to the government in the short run creates the long-run danger of violent opposition. And I think that's yeah. just it speaks to what you were saying pretty yeah. much there. So, you know, I, you know, do you have any thoughts, you know, where do we go from here? Yeah. How do we stand up? What can we do today? You know, I always like to yeah. throw in the solutions if we can, yeah. but what are we, how, how do we fix this hot mess? You know, I like, I like what Desmond says at the end, and this was kind of a little bit of a surprise to me, but I like what he says. He said, the only antidote to mass formation is more speech, more free speech. That's the answer. Guns, more guns is not the answer. No. More speaking is the answer because every time somebody exercises free speech, they're acting as a deterrent to this formation crowd that's already lost to that crowd. It'll keep them at bay as long as we have free speech. We need to speak more, not less. In the case of somebody like Shoshona, we need to take courage from that and say, I'm going to double down. I'm going to double down now. And I'm going to be even more vocal about my beliefs and about right things that are right and things that are morally on the high ground. I'm going to speak out about those things. And I don't care what the consequences are. If I get shunned, if I get bullied, whatever, so be it. Right. But I'm going to speak and let my let my words be known. And this this has to be an attitude grabbed by everybody that's not in that formation group, you're not going to pull those people out automatically. They won't come out. Mm 
We're not like you said, like you already said, they're really into it. They're really embedded in it. The people that are the fence sitters, probably 30 to 40 percent in the middle, they're afraid to say anything against the formation crowd, mm-hmm. but they don't really want to go where you and I are. So they're sitting on a fence. They're trying to play both ends against the middle, protect their jobs, you know, it's kind of get along to go along. Those are the people that we can still talk to. And they can be encouraged out of their, off their fence to say, you need Absolutely. to get off the fence. No, I, just- I agree with you. I, I think Matthias Matthias used the, uh, the figure last night of 31% might be among the ones who are in the mass formation group. And I was surprised that it was that low, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, when, when I go out without my mask and, you know, and, and thanks to you, I have um, this, you know, with. Oh, great. <laughs> yes. And by the way, Pat, I wanted to share that uh, you didn't hear part of my entry, but uh, we're including links to your websites and, and photos of your four books and, and all of your great brochures and, you know, all this great stuff here and yeah. um, your ninja training from Mary Baker and all great okay. stuff. We're to the point right now where, <clears throat> where people need to steal their mind. When I say, when I use that phrase, steal the mind, I mean, you need, to, you need to get resolve in your brain that whatever role these people want you to play, simply do not play that role. Just commit to it. Do you say, <laughs> all you people say, you're listening right now, say it. Repeat that for me. me. I will not play the role that they give me to play. If they tell you, you must wear a mask, say, no, I'm not going to wear a mask. If they tell you, you must get a shot, that's your role. No, I'm not going to get a shot. If they tell you, you must uh, allow us to take over your children's education, yada, yada, and we know better. No, I'm not going to play that role. Sorry. Just don't play the role. It doesn't mean you have to go out and protest on the street and, you know, make all kinds of ruckus. But at the very least, don't play the role that they give you to play. That throws a big monkey wrench into their operation immediately. Absolutely. They can't cope with that. They just can't cope with it. Mm -hmm. The parent that shows up at every school board meeting, even if the parent says nothing, even if the parent does nothing more than just holds up a little sign says, I don't comply. Mm -hmm. If that's all they did, they, they would send a message to the people that are looking out from behind the panel chairs. Somebody in our audience does not comply. Yes, yes, I, I, I agree with that. And, you know, on the same note, do you have any special message for those who are paid to censor and fact check? <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get you started, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but this is a PG audience, right? <laughs> yes, I know. I know. So the whole censorship thing right now, uh, here's my take on it. Uh, we've given way too much talk time to censorship by the Facebooks and the Twitters of the world. And, and here's why I say it. Nobody, but nobody can take away your right to free speech. Period. Nobody can. That doesn't mean they can't throw your book in the fire, but, you know, or whatever, but nobody can take away your right to free speech. And over the years, over the decades, 
Americans have had this crazy idea, a, a misperception of what free speech means in the first place, where it, well, it's just generally applies to me, but all those, you know, the journalists and the radio people or whatever, you know, that, that's where all that free speech stuff takes place. There needs to be a personal um, involvement with free speech. And I, I liken it sometimes to a tree falling in the forest when nobody's around. You know that argument. Does it make a sound? <laughs> and there have been countless debates and arguments over that. But I'd ask the same question about free speech. Do you have the right? Do, can you claim to have free speech? if you do not exercise personally free speech? And the answer for the most part is no, you don't. Because the First Amendment is different than all the other amendments. It doesn't grant you any rights, but it does point out that you have the unalienable rights to do those things. Now, the framers believe those, those things were given by God. They can't be taken away by men. That's why the First Amendment starts out saying, Congress shall make no law. They were just telling Congress, keep your filthy, stinking mess off of our unalienable rights. That's all it says. But they're ours to have and hold and possess because they were, they were not given by men. They can't be taken away by men. So... If you want to claim that you have free speech rights, but you're not exercising your free speech rights, then what good is it to you? It isn't. Nothing. It's just an esoteric mental gymnastic thing you're doing in your own mind, tricking yourself into thinking you've done something when you've done nothing. This is the problem that Americans have right now. They've had for a long time. But people need to stand up and speak up. And like, this is true. We can see this now. Our director of training, Mary Baker, says, if you don't have a seat at the table, you are what's on the menu for dinner. Love it. That's it. Amen. Yeah. Stand yeah. up, speak up, don't shut up. Absolutely. Yeah. There's so many great quotes out there to that effect. And, um, yeah, that is so strong. Pat, thank you so much for what you do. And, uh, you know, you just, I, I can't thank you enough for for all of your, all of your work out there. And um, so I just wondered if you had any closing comments, you know, we um, really appreciate everyone listening and, and, you know, wanted to say that if you find value in the message today, please subscribe and share and like, and uh, that will help, you know, further the message of wonderful folks who uh, donated their time like, like Patrick with us today. So that is just great. We're going to run this through a, a short edit and get it posted and published on YouTube. I'm also setting up on BitChute. Speaking of free speech, I want to make sure it doesn't get taken down. And even on Facebook, I'm, I, they put me in timeout for the next 90 days uh, for telling too much truth. Uh, they shared that I shared posts like from about Dr. Carrie Maday and Dr. Peter McCullough and um, sharing information about that. And apparently that was not 
what they wanted their people to hear. So I'm finding ways about posting anyway. I, you know, I took a screen share of the restrictions and why they've put me in timeout. I said, this is what they're doing. I said, if you're getting this message, if you have something similar, let me know. And a lot of my friends was, oh yeah, I hear you. And, and one of them said, he said, when I, every time I get censored, I just get louder, you know? So, so that's great. <laughs> but, you know, we just have to do that. And speaking of, of, FB, I understand that today at midnight they switch over to Meta. Their new, their new, uh, they're not Facebook anymore. They're Meta, M-E-T-A, Meta. Meta, yeah, yeah. yeah. So for whatever that means, but oh well, big deal there, right? <laughs> well, it is. That's that's a that's a good topic for another discussion. It it's really going is. to be huge. It absolutely is huge. You yes, yes. and and just speaking on that really quickly, I don't know if you caught Dr. David Martin's presentation at the latest Red Pill about a week or so ago. He came out and named everybody. You know, he said he said they want you to think it's Pfizer and Moderna and and all of these other bad actors and even Bill Gates and blah blah blah. But it, it it's these other companies that you've never heard of that are pulling the strings. So he, you know, oh my gosh, he laid out a slide that was the COVID or Orchestra named yeah. all the names, including cellist Yo-Yo Ma, which blew yeah. my socks off. So <laughs> I thought that was interesting. But Patrick, I could talk with you forever. Any closing words you'd like to share with us? Well, I, I, I suppose the only thing I can say in the end of it is, is have courage. Take courage. Don't, don't let anybody cheat you out of life and cheat you out of your, your enjoyment of life. Exactly. Uh, that only comes with, with, you know, with, with taking courage and people are so, uh, they're so browbeaten into depression and into, you know, being down at the mouth and everything. And there's a lot to be down at the mouth at, let's face it, there is. Of course. But there are people who run away from conflict and there are people who run toward conflict. And the people who run toward conflict are always the ones that end up saving the day. Those are the military forces in World War II who ran towards the enemy, not running away from the enemy. Uh, those have been the great political battles of our history. Those who ran toward the fight, not away from the fight. There you go. And we're at that point today where we need to resolve in our mind, are we going to be cowards and run from the conflict because we don't like it? for whatever reason, or are we going to be, I'll say, I, I don't, I hesitate to say, hesitate to say true Americans, but are we going to be cowards or are we going to be uh, heroes and heroines who run toward the battle to engage the enemy? And I think right now there's, there's no, there's no debate on what kind of people we should be. But if we do not, run towards the conflict and engage this enemy with everything we have, we will eventually end up losing everything we've fought for in America. Many will end up losing their very lives and everybody will end up losing their possessions. It's inconceivable as it happened in America, but right now all the signs are there. And that means if there's ever a time in our history, it means now is the time to engage this enemy, take them on, on your terms, not their terms, but take them on and beat them back where they belong. 
For those that can be saved, pull them out of the fire. For those that can't be saved, move on. Just don't worry about them. There's plenty of other people that need to hear what we have to say. And uh, so courage is the first thing I have to say. If you don't have it, you're already lost right where you stand. You, you'll be no good for anybody and you, you'll end up being a, a weight to somebody. So I hope this speaks to a lot of Americans. I, I, I pretty routinely will tell people this, this is what they need to do. How many people listen? I don't know. But um, it's a, I think it's a truism. I don't think it's just Pat Wood saying this. <laughs> I, think, I think you could look back at history and say anybody that saw what was going on anywhere said that's this is what we need to do. You want to keep what you got, keep your country, you better stand up and fight for it. Absolutely, Pat. Very well said. And I'd just like to add just a very minimal thing just to tap off on that is that I truly believe that we are all here in this point in time for a reason, part of a sacred contract or whatever you want to call about it. We're, we're here now and we cannot be looking for someone else, some government, something else, big brother, whatever to fix it. We need to stand in our truth and work locally and, and, and identify our tribe, find out who are around us, who will have our back and, and gain momentum, right? Together is better and we'll stand stronger for it. And, you know, like with your, with your wonderful group with uh, CFFS is to sign up for your, um, for your group and attend your, are you still having your, it was it Monday night meetings with Mary Baker. We're, have, we're, we're done with that training. It's all okay. available on. Yeah. We, so we have it recorded and we're okay. delivering it through our, our website. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah. I highly recommend that. And um, also, yeah, that's great. And we're sharing all sorts of related um related links below on that and some graphics. So, uh, and we're going to be ending with a wonderful quote about free speech and freedom uh, at the end of this video that you'll see later. So Pat, you, um, you'll see some parts that you haven't seen before <laughs> and I hope you're pleased with it as well, ultimately. So thank right. you for being such a wonderful guest. You make me want to be a better interviewer and I really appreciate your helping me hone my skills. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. Glad to help. Thank you so much. Bye for now, everyone.